Hello, everyone, and welcome to Back of the Grid. My name's Chris, and I'm joined as ever by Stu. Hi. And by Tom. Hello. Uh, another fairly eventful weekend, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, um, fairly event, fairly event, fairly. Think event. fairly Some stuff eventful. happened, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll start with what happened before we even got to the race weekend. Um, I think it was last Wednesday. Perez, out of the blue, took it upon himself to announce that he was leaving Racing Point um, at the end of this season. Uh, that was followed swiftly the next day by the confirmation that Vettel is uh, going to be joining the team in their new guys as Aston Martin next year. Um, mm-hmm. came literally a day after we released a podcast saying Classic. that uh, that news had cooled down a little bit in recent weeks. Yeah. So yeah. you're welcome, I guess, everyone. <laughs> I guess start with Vettel. It's I think, I think it's just really good that he's staying in the sport, isn't it? He said himself that he came close to retiring before he decided to go for this move. Yeah, we've all said for a long time that that car and... And this season's not really a fair farewell to him, is it? After the time that he spent in the sport and what he's achieved. Mm. So yeah. it's nice that he will get some more time. And hopefully it'll be time with like an an, an okay car, a decent car looking yeah. like he does at the minute. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I'm happy I'm very, I'm really happy. You know, I've been quite a big sort of supporter of this move for a while Mm. and actually i did i did say although although we did talk down this news before it happened last week i did say that you know i can't can't remember exactly what i said but it was to the effect of something's going to happen at some point and that's yeah quiet just a matter of time um, yeah we we weren't quite sort of we weren't canning it we weren't saying it wasn't going to happen we were just saying if it does happen, it's more likely to be later on. That's all, isn't it? So, Considering yeah. at one point it was going to be announced at like the second race of the season, according to some people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it takes time to sort these things out. And sometimes drivers randomly announce them themselves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. whether it's coincidence or not that uh, this has all been announced on uh, the weekend that was supposed to be Ferrari's party, um, yeah. I wouldn't like to <laughs> yeah. speculate. Yeah, I mean, you kind of wonder whether like they wanted it out in the world just yet, given that it was Perez who sort of forced, kind of just took it upon himself, didn't he? And forced. Yeah, it, so. it seems that yeah. way. Did you hear how Perez actually found out this was happening? No, how did he find out? So that well, there's there's been kind of Perez basically said he'd it was all out of the blue for him and he'd not given any warning. Um, Lawrence Stroll said that's not strictly true and they'd been sort of talking to about the possibility for a while. So whichever side that you want to believe, go for mm-hmm. it. But the point he actually knew it was happening, apparently he was in his motorhome, which is yeah. obviously next door to where they have all the motorhomes of golf offices and stuff. And the combination of very thin walls and Lawrence Stroll having a particularly deep booming voice means he heard through the wall Lawrence Stroll basically instructing his lawyers to uh, like finalize the contract and that's how he found out he was getting ditched wow <laughs> yep <laughs> that was genuine i wasn't being silly <laughs> that's ridiculous. Yeah, that is apparently the story of how he found out wow well, that is absolutely savage isn't it yeah and it's it i think it's quite telling like for every driver and team principal and stuff that's been interviewed over this weekend that's been happy for Vettel staying in the sport. There's been an equal number of comments about how sad it would be if Perez left the sport and how much everyone hopes he sticks around. Um, 
I mean, there's teams that still potentially have space for him. And yeah. I'd be very surprised if any of them didn't want him, didn't want to try and make a deal. Obviously, if they've got their own thing to work out, that's fine. But, you know, there are teams that have drivers coming out of contracts and stuff like that. So Yeah, definitely. It's, it's not like... But I think the thing that really surprised me is that Perez, like, almost acted like... He, he he was the whole world knew that this was potentially going to happen at some point soon, and Perez just acted like this is the first I've heard of yeah. it. Like well, they always do, they always do, don't they? Yeah. They always do that. Yeah. They they just sort of carry on. I guess you have to like because it's completely out of your hands. Yeah. So you true. just psychologically you just have to sort of compartmentalize it and keep saying to yourself, "Yeah, it's my car, it's my drive. I I will work as though this is my car next yeah. season, next year." Yeah, that's true. And because if you don't, it'll it inevitably would affect your performance. So you have to, you know, yeah, you have totally. to take that approach. Yeah. Um, and plus, as, as soon as you go around publicly accepting your fate without it being sealed that yet, then you might as well be hammering the nails into your own coffin, aren't you? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You could also start sniffing around other teams, though, if you're sus- if you're suspicious that you are going to get the boot. Oh, I'm sure he's been doing both. Really. Other teams. <laughs> yeah, I mean the. Drivers' managers are constantly talking to other teams anyway yeah, just true. to keep o- options open if they need them. Yeah. I thought it was very telling that I think he like alluded to it in his statement and he said in kind of the press conference when he was kind of asked, like, looking back kind of what he's most proud of with his time with the team. It's like seven years he's been with the team. And every time someone asked him something like that, the thing you always said was the fact that I was the catalyst for saving that team from disappearing and like saved all the mechanics jobs and stuff. And like when he first announced it, there were people who were kind of in the F1 circle recognized on like Instagram comments, the names of lots of his mechanics, like sending him messages on Instagram saying like, we're all absolutely gutted about this. Like it's a real shame this is happening and stuff. So it, it is a shame to see him leaving the team he's done so much for over the years, but at the same time, it's sports a cruel thing isn't it and like things never stand still and Lawrence Stroll himself said you know I think yeah either Lawrence Stroll or Martin Afsel basically said like this is an Aston Martin team next year and to say we've got a four-time world champion is a really great selling point which is what we said all along I guess yeah I agree with that um where do we see where do we see Perez going just finally where do we think Perez will end up if he does stay in Formula One Haas probably yeah I mean I would say Haas wants, Haas. yeah, Haas wants to be probably the place that he aims for. I think because I can see him. There. I mean, despite despite it not being the best place to be at this moment because of the nature of the Ferrari engine, if they're staying in that sport as what is practically a Ferrari customer team, when Ferrari get their act together, Alpha and Haas are going to be decent cars by default because of how closely those two yeah. teams work with Ferrari. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not a bad angle to go yeah. for, really, is it? In in the okay. same way that Force India, as it was, always did pretty decent because they had such good ties to Mercedes. Like, Haas is the same with Ferrari, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah, well, it's still a seat in the ninth fastest car in the world, isn't it? So Exactly, it's yeah. Not to be, it's not to <laughs> I mean, be that's... At. That's debatable at times. Depends on the day, obviously. Sometimes it's the 10th, sometimes it's the 9th, sometimes it's the 8th. But yeah. I, th- I think Haas, the best Haas can probably hope for next year is for them to be 
back in the kind of midfield fight and sort of nicking decent results from time to time. Yeah. And I can't think of a much better driver to have in your car to be in the midfield nicking decent results from time to time. That's I mean that's Perez's it's what he does, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, what he's made a career on. So Yep. Yeah, I think we all hope we'll see him there next year. I think he does deserve it. Um yeah. but at the same time, very glad uh, Sebastian's sticking around. Yeah. Did you see the um like photos that I think it was the Aston Martin account like tweeted after the announcement? No. It was yeah. nothing special. Like he wasn't wearing team gear or anything. It was just like him just wearing some like dark colored stuff, just like a basic photo shoot. But all the responses were like is it me or does Vettel suddenly look five years younger now? He's like got all this pressure off him and he's got a seat again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I guess we just talk about the race, shouldn't we? Shall yeah. we move on? Well, Bottas sort of started off in qualifying with some bad luck. Um, he was faster than Lewis all weekend and probably would have been on pole if not for Ocon binning it in Q3. I think it's probably fair to say. Basically, yeah. the only time Hamilton had been faster than him up until that point was the first running Q3. It didn't matter, though, because Bottas got what was probably his best start of the season to take the lead off the start. Leclerc as well had an amazing start to go from fifth on the grid uh, to get third place. I mean, the fact that that Ferrari was even starting fifth was a miracle in itself. Um, And for him to be running third that early was, yeah, even more impressive. Yeah, Verstappen, after having his car in bits on the grid with some kind of engine issue, which they thought they'd fixed and hadn't. They they were talking about being an electrical issue, but sort of the rumblings I've heard afterwards sound like it might be a bit more serious than that. It was it was quite lucky not to be run into off the grid actually, because it's like yeah, he got into second gear and there was just nothing else there, was there? Mm. It was a yeah, scary yeah. one from on board, like the, that stream, the, the waterfall of cars him, passing by you either side. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I think I think it was Leclerc where he sort of. He accelerated initially at a pretty good pace, to be honest. Initially, then, like you say, he got to like sort of third gear or something like that, and then he just stopped going. Yeah, just nothing. And Leclerc was still accelerating at that point, and it took Leclerc a second to just compute. Oh, that car is slow, and I mean, we were very close to a an incident there. And it's a good job, to be fair. Most people had the reactions that they did. Yeah, yeah, that's why they get paid the big bucks. Well, it didn't take much longer to get an incident. <laughs> didn't even get as far as turn two. Um, yeah, so it was, it was Raikkonen, Gasly, and uh, Grosjean that came together to kind of start the chain reaction. It looked a bit like Gasly was trying to stick his car into a gap that was always going to close, really. He was kind of going between the other two, wasn't he? Yeah, he got yeah, sort of sandwiched, didn't he? I think I think it was, it was looking quicker than the two either side of him, though. I don't think yeah. it was... I don't think it was wrong for being there, but it was always going to be a tight call between the three of them. Um, I think the problem was is it looks like Kimmy, from when I watched it back, it looked like Kimmy got um, like a bit of a kick of oversteer in the yeah. back trying to step out on him or something, and he sort of he kind of slid into um, he kind of slid into Gasly, which then smashed him into the side of Grosjean, and and I think it was Raikkonen that took out Max, wasn't it, by heading straight ahead yeah just kind of max yeah i mean sort of all three of them plowed towards um max i think yeah i think he probably actually no it might have been groge on the him because reichling continued didn't he looking at it now i think it was a 
I think all three of them made some contact with the yeah. staff in one way or another. Yeah, that's what that's what I was saying. Before. He was basically I think bulldozed initially, off the track. In, initially, it was Raikkonen, and then I think he collected the other two anyway as they all went off. So. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that sort of took Verstappen out on the spot, although him and Red Bull said afterwards the fact that he was in a crash was kind of academic because that engine was never getting yeah. further than one lap anyway. You, you wonder if Verstappen may have been some form of catalyst for that for that crash because it's, at that point there's, he's still quite far up the field and people are still trying to avoid him. Yeah. So if he's already going really slow, that's kind of like bunching the pack up a bit because they're all wiggling around trying to get past him. Mm. Plus and like if probably everyone's... An element. If everyone's had to split either side of him to like avoid running into the back of him, that's yeah. going to kind of force them to be um, three or four wide into turn one without planning to. And I guess it's kind of... I uh, mean, yeah. Kimi was right on the back of him coming out of turn one. So there is a good chance that that little kick that you see from Kimi is because he's having to make such a drastic adjustment because of Max being slow in front of him. And, th- and then that, like you say, is the catalyst of the whole thing, isn't it? That that's then what leads more significantly to the contact with Gasly. And then they're all... They're all sliding towards the back of yeah. uh, Max at that point, and he's done yeah. for. The first of many messes. Yeah. Grosjean managed to keep it going despite literally being in the wall. Have you seen the onboard of when Grosjean rejoined? I have not no. seen the onboard of when so, Grosjean rejoined. He ended up hitting the the wall at the back of the gravel pit, like completely sideways, um, like the two tires hit it. So I guess that's why he didn't pick up any terminal damage. And because there's a strip of grass, he was able to get a bit of traction and get going. So he followed the strip of grass all the way around the outside of the gravel trap. So he was basically facing back down the track towards turn one when he rejoined. But because he was following this strip of grass, at one point he was just going straight towards the gap in the fence where a load of marshals were. And you see all these marshals see him coming and all kind of panic and like leap backwards. (laughs) And then the last second he just like turns away from the gap and goes back onto the track Mm. again. It was very weird. I see all these marshals seem to be like, he's driving at us and he's not slowing down. What's happening on here? Yeah. But there we go. Uh, that's that's back-to-back retirements for, for Verstappen now. I mean, if his championship wasn't already over, it basically is now, isn't it? Yeah. Very difficult to come back from where he is now. Yeah, he's... I mean, he's just going to finish third, isn't he? I mean, he always was going yeah. to, but he almost certainly is now. I mean, if it's, not, it's not to say he can't... Keep a fight going with Bottas for a second. Yeah, true. I guess he's still You know, the rest of it is done at this point. Yeah. So that gave us a safety car and a safety car restart, which gave us the biggest of the incidents, I would say. So Bottas kept it slow right up until the start-finish line, as he is within the rules allowed to do. And if you watched any of the F2 and F3 races, everyone at safety car restarts in those all did the same thing. But the back of the pack in F1 just sort of concertinas together and end up in a mighty smash. Uh, it ended the race for Sainz, Giovinazzi, Magnussen and Latifi. Um, Grosjean was incredibly lucky slash incredibly skillful not to get caught up in it. Um, yeah. So no, no driver has been like officially given blame. 12 different drivers went to see the stewards afterwards and they've all been given formal warnings over the incident. That's Magnussen, Giovinazzi, Latifi, Sainz, Kvyat, Albon, Stroll, Ricardo, Perez, Norris, Ocon, and Russell. Yeah. It's, I mean, let's discuss, I guess, what, what went wrong. Yeah. So, no driver, not there's no driver to blame. Bottas is not to blame. Russell's not to blame. No, no one on that field is at fault here. The P1 
people who are at fault are the FIA because they're turning the safety car lights off way too late. So the driver across all fields, across F2, 1, F2 and F3, is given no choice but to back the field right up all the way to the safety car line and then bolt in the hope that they won't get slipstreamed. Hmm. That's the whole reason yeah. that they're backing them up the way they are. And I mean, they're doing it just to improve the show. They're doing it just because they want action on track. Um, and I, mean, I think it's wrong. I... I don't necessarily, having watched it back multiple times from multiple drivers on boards and different angles and stuff like that, what was going on at the front wasn't particularly that much of a problem. I'm, I, I was a little bit dubious of how much Bottas was weaving. He, he's within his rights to control the pace. I was I was a little bit dubious by like how, how much of the track he was weaving around on. But ultimately, the front six to seven got away absolutely fine without any issue because... They were doing what they were supposed to be doing, which is running to the pace of the guy at the front. That's what they're supposed to be doing. And they go when he goes. At the back of the pack, before even any of this starts unfolding, you've got Latifi nearly running to the back of, I think it was Giovinazzi. Yeah, I think it was. Latifi nearly ran into the back of someone because at the back there, they're all sort of going, stopping. Go, like, they're doing their own little thing at the back anyway. And, you do get a concertina, but this those guys at the back were were trying to race and anticipate what was going on at the front before it happened. And I think a few of them have seen green light. They know where the line is and they're trying to anticipate it. And for example, Magnuson's dropped off because obviously Bottas has not gone and he's near enough to see that. And then you've got a swarm of cars that are just making an assumption that the race is go again, flying at the back of what is a an almost stationary Magnuson at one point. Mm. And the the way that I think it was Russell had to move out of the back of um out of the back of Magnuson to then have Giovanazzi flying at him the speed yeah. he was doing is dangerous. Like and I think that those those that were half racing down the back are the like they're the ones that need the stern talking to because mm. they were racing before they should have been racing. That's what they do. Though. They're not supposed to race until that line. But the rule, the rule, there's a written rule of the, they're not there supposed is. to race until there is, they cross that line. There is. So they shouldn't have been doing it. But they're always going to race. You know, no matter whatever the rules are, you're always going to try and get the jump on your. Yeah, opponent. but that's racing. I mean, but but there's a hard there's a hard rule that you do not race until that line. If mm. you break that rule, you've broken that broken that rule. It's also. It's quite circumstantial as well. Like it, it was a bit of a perfect storm. Like you've got a circuit with a really long straight where yeah. the toe is really powerful and the start finish line is quite a long way down that straight. So you're already going to get the lead driver potentially wanting to lead the pack almost down to the start finish line. But then you've also got the fact that being a very hilly circuit, as you come out of... Um, the final turn, you basically can't see the rest of the straight because you go over a little crest just yeah. before the pit entry. And that's coupled with the fact that they were all right up behind each other. All any of the drivers at the back could see was the rear wing of the car in front and the light boards um, near the pit entrance. Yep. So they all reacted to the cars in front going and or the pit boards turning green. But if they were on a circuit where you can see all the way down the field, they'd have been able to see that Bottas hadn't gone yet. So they'd be able to see that, you know, although the boards had changed further forward, it didn't mean everyone had gone. So it was 
kind of a perfect storm in that. Yeah. Uh, for me, though, the you know they br- they did bring this up in the drivers' meeting because all the teams have been observing the safety car restarts and observing yeah. the fact that they weren't they were turning the safety car lights off too late. And so just to just to clear up clear up that statement, the you're not allowed to fall off of the back of the safety car as the race leader until they've turned their their lights off. That's yeah. and and said they're going to stay in. within a car's length until <clears throat> yeah until until the lights are That's off. That's the rule. Yeah. So the way the the solution that was presented to the FIA and presented to the stewards was you turn the lights off on the safety car further around less well less far around the lap so maybe up at the sort of big horseshoe kind of turn before the chicane then let the safety car go away and then the drivers can do what they traditionally do which is bolt on the exit of a corner or bolt somewhere else you know they've got though the opportunity to have a few corners to pull a gap so they don't have to run it all the way to the safety car line this issue occurs when you run it to the line it happens every time in every category of racing if you run after a safety car if you run the pack all the way up to the line there's always an accident do you know what though as as much as that's right you've only got to look at baku which is a very similar situation and there was no criticism of safety car lights being turned out too late there and f1 f2 and f3 every time there's a safety car restart the leader runs up to that line and i bet you this race just gone they could have turned the safety car lights out to turn one bottas would have done exactly the same thing because that's the best way to not lose the lead of the race and i think in a way it comes down to it was a number of years ago now they changed the rules from racing starting at the safety car line which is normally just after the last corner yeah. to it yeah, being it's, start. It's usually like before the pit entry, yeah, yeah. isn't it? And they changed it for some reason to the start-finish line instead. And I feel like if they changed it back to the safety car line, that would probably well, help negate some of this. I mean, the only reason they changed that, though, is because Schumacher overtook someone into a final corner at, at yeah. somewhere under Monaco, Monaco or yeah. something. Like, that was that's, it. That's just, that was just stupid. Like, In my opinion, they should have never changed the rule. No, I'm, I don't I'm think so either. Chris, but to, to do it just because... Schumacher overtook someone into the final corner and whoever it was got upset about it. The the rule is the line. Like again, it comes back to exactly the same rule. You race from the line, and if you're not alert enough to defend your position after that line, that's tough. The problem there is it makes you a sitting duck if 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 because everyone knows where the line is. Whereas if you if you if you go before the line, then everyone's guessing well, when you're going to go. But if everyone knows when the line is, then they're going to anticipate where the line is, and and go anyway before before the line. That's the issue. But you're enti- you're entitled to speed up as the lead car and dictate the pace before that line. The line is about when you're allowed to overtake. Yeah, but you're not going to speed you're up. At, to race. You're not going to speed up at your own disadvantage, though, are you? You're not going to speed up just to get overtaken but, by someone slipstreaming behind you. That's illogical. You'd never do that. But then you'd have to assess where the safety car lines are. If the safety car lines are producing that problem, you'd assess where the safety yeah, car lines are. But that's are. still an issue for the FIA. That's not an issue for the drivers. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a. I'm not saying it's a driver issue at any point. Other than the fact that they shouldn't be racing each other before they cross the line because that's the rule. Yeah. But, the, but that's that's the only thing that I'm saying is that if there's a hard and fast rule of you should not be overtaking before yeah. this line then they shouldn't be trying to overtake before that line, yeah. which is what they well, were Well, I doing. don't think they're trying to overtake. They're just trying to anticipate 
to mm. not mm. lose out is what it's not they're not necessarily racing each other to overtake each other they're trying because it's such a long straight i think this is the confusion like people think oh they're trying to overtake each other they're not they're trying to not be at a disadvantage and they're trying to not lose out and be overtaken themselves they're not trying to gain an advantage on the cars ahead they're trying to not lose out well, well, I think they kind of are. Like in an ideal world, you hit the throttle at the point that will bring you exactly level with the car in front as you yeah. cross the start finish line. Like that's ultimately exactly. what they're trying to do. So they're yeah, not. Yeah, it is. But yeah, but the, the, it's a it's a it's a, it's sort of a chicken and egg situation because on the one hand, if you don't go for it, someone's going to get you, and on the other hand, if you catch someone else in the process of defending your position, then that's not the end of the world, is it? So there's, there's a simple solution to it. And that is, it's a single maintained speed behind the safety car until you've crossed the line. Yeah. But then that nullifies that, that that had ruined the show though. I mean, that would sort of take away some of the drama. What does a virtual safety car do? It does the same thing. It's true. You, 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 you set to a certain, fair enough, not a speed, but you set to a certain, uh, time point within the loops that you've got to but, stay yeah, under. That's true, but... and and it, it basically holds everyone in position with nothing. At least with a safety car, if you did something similar behind the safety car, the pack's bunched up, so there's a potential for something. With a virtual safety car, you've got nothing because everyone's just locked, or or they should, in theory, be locked where they were. So Lewis is out in front with a ten second gap. He's going to keep that, like in theory, yeah. more or less. But with the safety car, even if everyone's behind the safety car traveling at a relative speed and cannot accelerate until a certain point, then, I mean, yeah, fair enough, Lewis is going to be the first one with his foot down, but Bottas is still right behind him or Max is still right behind him, whoever it is, because of the pack being bunched up, there's still an opportunity there, mm. I think. It sort of comes back to what we were and, saying last week about Formula E having the countdowns and stuff potentially as well. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's your, that, I guess that's your other option is that it's, it's dictated by race control. Or even yeah. bringing something like they do in a lot of other series where at a rolling restart, you everyone shuffles off into like double file. So you kind of, it's like a rolling grid kind of thing. <sighs> Imagine that with these guys though. I mean, these are supposed to be the best drivers in the world. Yeah, but hmm. if, if they're trying to get ahead of each other, if you put them side by side already, goodness, that's like literally 20 cars going to turn one, you know, two wide at least. Yeah, but <laughs> so then they're going to do that anyway. Like eight wide into turn one. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I think the, the thing as well is like, as much as we all know that safety cars spice things up and give us exciting racing and stuff, it's easy to forget that the job of the safety car is to make things safe. Yeah, and it's the, yeah. you know the priority is the marshals here as well. The reason that exactly they're, yeah. they're doing it is to make sure that there's no you know there's a lot of people on track, sort of clearing debris and getting rid of stricken cars and whatnot. You need them to be safe. And I do think this has been a very situational thing as well. Like other than Baku, you don't really see this kind of thing going on at many other circuits. I mean, mm. like Michael Mass in the FYA have like vehemently denied there's anything like to do with them trying to spice things up and it's just yeah. the way things shook I, out. But I, I mean, yeah, I I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm putting it out there, but I, I have a suspicion that the, when we get to it, the second red flag was actually because they didn't want this happening again behind the safety car. And they, they preferred the, the aspect of just, just read it and put them behind, put them behind the lights it's a possibility, because they don't again, want this again. At the same time, they could have, I maintain this point. They could have just turned the safety car lights off further around the track. 
I don't oh. I don't agree with Chris. I don't I don't think that um I don't think that Bottas would have gone to that line. I, I totally do. But do you said you? it yourself. Why would a why yeah. would a driver do something different they know is going to disadvantage themselves? Yeah. Because it, well, do do you're not going to do the same thing twice. So having just seen what happened, if they turned the safety car lights off, if the if, if supposing that they did do another safety car and they turned the lights off further around the track, I think Bottas would have bolted sooner and you know if Hamilton gets by him too soon if he's too close to him or whoever's behind them gets by them too quick then there's a chance as long as straight as long as that that you could get back in behind them and get them back yeah I don't know I I just can't believe a driver's ever going to do anything other than the best chance of holding first place Mm. but uh, here's the, the flip of that though uh, which is where I'm sort of more leaning towards what Chris is saying with the safety car lights. It's like, if you turn them out like four four corners earlier, you still can't race till the start-finish line. So you're not... Nobody's really going to gain anything other than the fact that they'll be at racing speed by the time they hit straight. But nobody's supposed to overtake anyone until the line. Well, it's the thing, it's something that... I mean, we always said Hamilton and Vettel are both very good at picking the exact right point to floor it to leave the guy in second yeah. and behind because they weren't quite expecting it. And that's that's the other way of doing it, isn't it? For Bottas, it, it say Bottas had got much more of a chance. Slow the pack up massively, let the safety car disappear, and then pick a point where he didn't think Hamilton was expecting it and bolt and hope that by the yeah. time he gets out of the final corner, he's got enough of a gap for Hamilton to not then slipstream him. But... Yeah. yeah, and in order for that to happen, they need to turn the safety car lights off sooner. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, but do we do we know where exactly they were turned off? Would be right, literally, like just after the 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 fast chicane, they turned them off just after then. So it was literally like just before the final corner that they announced that the car was coming in. Because I know Ocon had said like he thought the team had got it wrong when they told him because it was like so late. Yeah, that mm. I was sh- I was surprised that they left it so late to say safety car. Yeah, the they were at the final chicane when they said the safety car ending. And normally, like in in past races, you've been like you know just starting the lap as it says safety car ending, so you get a full lap of awareness that the safety car is about to end. And this was like literally, it's ending in ten seconds. Yeah, get ready to go. So, and that's that's my problem with it. Like they tried to catch everyone off guard to try and spice up the racing clearly, and it's come and just it's, it's come back and bitten them hard because they've I'll, wrecked the I'll, joint. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to be one that points finger at them and say they've done it to spice up the racing. They've just done it because they felt it was a convenient time to do it. I think, and and they've been sorely mistaken that leaving it that late is a problem. Yeah. Like that's, I, I don't. Bottas was, to me, maybe trying to put a lot of heat into those tires, and it's because he he was left so late, he not had opportunity to do it properly behind the safety car. I would assume. Yeah. But quite potentially, if he's got that that message earlier, he would have actually gone a lot sooner. I mean, yeah, fair enough. He's he's maybe going to hold it out down the straight a little bit to try and catch them off guard, but I don't think he's going all the way to the line backing them up. I think he's coming out of that corner slow and then leaving them guessing at what point he's going to go down that straight and catch them out. But and I they've think, got to react to him. I think by the but time when, you've when, got If past... he leaves it to the line, everyone knows that when he hits that line, he's got to mm. go. So they, exactly oh, everyone chasing him, Lewis and so on, 
they all know when he's going to go anyway. So he's not advantaging himself by taking it all the way to the line. Other than he's, he's taking more opportunity to put some heat in the tyres with the weaving. Mm. And, it's and, too, that's, and it's it. lim- that's all he's done. And it's <laughs> limiting the amount of time Lewis can be slipstreaming in as well. That's, yeah, that's, the, True. His, that's yeah. the advantage he's going for. He's going for the advantage of be, being slipstreamed less for a, for less distance along the track and, and optimising, you know, the slower you are going, the smaller the hole you're punching in the air. So therefore, you, the slipstream effect isn't going to be as strong if you're not at full racing speed or if you're building up to full racing speed after that line. Therefore, by the time you get to turn one, there's less chance that the guy who's slipstreaming you is going to be alongside you. Whereas if you go from the last corner along a kilometer long straight at full racing speed, then you've got literally every bloke and his dog alongside him. <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I don't think he would have necessarily gone from the gone from the, the end exit of the last corner, but I think he would have gone sooner than the line. Yeah. yeah because it, that, that, that it gives him the element of he's in control then. They've got to react to him. All that all they were doing is watching for him at the line and they react to that. They don't have to react mm. to him going because as soon as he touches that line, they go. Yeah, well, they know like he's going to go at that the point. Line. Yeah, because he has yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. And that, so you do put yourself at a disadvantage for it. This is what the ga- the cars further back were doing, though. That they were anticipating yeah. that he was at that line and he'd gone, and therefore trying not to lose out because they knew everyone was going to go at, at that point. And when you see another car, when you're in that situation, you see another car going for it. You think everyone's gone. Let's go. And yeah. you all go because it's it's like a it's kind of like um like a like a flock of birds or something you know like if, yeah if a, it only takes if one a gunshot to goes and... off and, and yeah they they're not going to the sound of the gunshot they're going at the visual of the other exactly. birds flying away yeah so it's the exact same sort of mentality I mean the crash was happening at the back before Bottas had really gone as well like yeah. I just, because yeah. they were just anticipating it, it and reacting because... to the wrong things. It's because Magnuson was one of the few that realised it wasn't going as, as like some had set off, and Magnuson was like, "Well, this isn't going anywhere." Mm. And Magnuson's backed off slightly, and the others around have uh, are already gone. They're already, they're already seeing cars speeding up, and they're already gone at that point. Mm. And Magnuson's just left beached in the middle, yeah, essentially. Not much he could coasting. do. I so. do think Russell was a little bit naughty in it all. He left quite a big gap, and then closed it up, and then had to break um suddenly again which i'm not going to say he was the cause of it but he definitely didn't help it not happen put it that way mm. yeah i think i think this is what i was saying before like all those guys from i don't know eighth down were, were kind of all at the same thing yeah i think they were all they were all doing it yeah they were all at um, it up to a point which is why like what was it 12 different drivers got a, an official yeah talking to yeah yeah race is gonna race yeah <laughs> I mean, I'll move this on, but uh, I will just say that F2 and F3 also had multiple safety car restarts. They all managed it fine. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs> yeah. Pinnacle of motorsport, everyone. <laughs> so, yeah, that gave us a red flag for the second race in a row, having not had a red flag for a very long time before that. A fun fact I saw someone post uh, Ben Vinell on Twitter said. Valtteri Bottas covered the first eight laps of the Tuscan Grand Prix in 18 minutes and 12 seconds, while all of the drivers took more than 41 minutes to do so, thanks to the red flag. Maybe the largest official gap ever between P1 and P2. <laughs> really? How is yeah. that the case? I think it's. I think basically the red flag was triggered 
just after Bottas had crossed the start-finish line under the safety car and Hamilton hadn't. So officially, he had begun that next lap and none of the rest of the oh. field begun that lap until the restart. It also, you could argue that's also the biggest comeback from second place to win as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the Great. anti-Hamilton brigade will love <laughs> Yeah. So the first of the restarts on lap 10, uh, we lost Ocon during the red flag period as well because his brakes were bonfire. So we only had 13 <laughs> runners, um, only 10 laps in. For the second time that day, the car in second place got a better start from pole position, which gave Hamilton the lead he'd basically never lose for the rest of the race. Um, it kind of settled down a little bit then. Um, Ricardo, Albon and Norris all got past Perez pretty easily, actually. Perez didn't have really much in the way of defence, did he, against those three? No. No. And Leclerc just seemed to get passed by like half the field as that third place quickly became like ninth yeah, or tenth or munching, something. Munching his tyres at that point. Yeah, he seemed to be pitting every like four laps for a new set of tyres. I don't know what yeah, he was. Whole up race, to. Yeah, whole race he was just chewing them up. I don't know what was going on there. Um, it's a good job he had uh, red flags to change without pitting, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine. Renault managed to undercut Stroll with Ricardo, uh, which was. Um, Ricardo was just on fire, wasn't he, from that second restart? He was probably yeah. other than Mercedes the quickest man out there. Um, they did a really good job with that undercut, um, which at that point put him in a prime position to get podium until yeah. we got the second red flag, which was a massive crash for Stroll. Um, I've not seen it officially confirmed, but it looked very much like a rear tyre failure through the fastest set of corners on the circuit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the car was nearly in half, wasn't it? Like the whole rear end was barely hanging on. It was a massive one, wasn't it? Huge it was one, yeah. Bobby yeah. Dazzler. Yeah. And then the bizarre scenes of marshals like tearing off bodywork so they can like get fire extinguishers in underneath and stuff. Like, Oh my goodness, yeah, that was yeah. scary. <laughs> Bit of a shambles. Point, I thought they were going to squirt water in it. I was like, don't do that, you'll electrocute yourself. <laughs> yeah, they were like throwing fire extinguishers backwards and forwards between them. Yeah, yeah, just tossing them around. Yeah, properly huge shunt though, that, which, again, brought out a second red flag. You actually saw on the onboard, like, if you if you go back and watch the onboard and you look to the bottom left of the screen, you just see, as, as it before he starts spinning off, you just see, like, where the tyres exploded. Oh, really? A little, like, you get, like, three or four frames of just bit of tyre. Oh, no. Forward into the view of the camera and then, obviously, zip off. Back when bits of your rear tire are overtaking you, things have yeah, gone really Yeah, literally, like that's what—that's kind of what was happening. Like a little to a de- to a degree, that was what happening. It didn't get very far past him. <laughs> In fact, it didn't get past him. It only got maybe yeah. alongside the airbox, but still, like, yeah, you saw it's it. Scary. So, to me, I think almost certainly tire failure. I don't think yeah. it was um, driver. And they were telling the Mercedes to stay off the the curbs as well for the exact same yes, reason right. yeah. yeah i think if not for all these free tire changes that I had it could have been a, a very much yeah. a tire wear race massively um, yeah but yeah obviously glad very glad he was okay after that in fact through all the incidents the closest to an injury was um signs was sort of holding his hand slightly after the um restart crash but he's been sort of cleared as being fine after that which is obviously great to see and the yeah, halo was very crazy. much came into its own as well through all of that yeah yeah he um it didn't it was it happened so fast for science that he didn't get a chance to let go of his steering wheel so yeah exactly he, he would have pulled his wrist obviously if you ever crashed a car or crashed a car actually for that matter you'll know that like the steering kind of just yeah. has a mind of its own and wants to snap your wrists yeah. off so that's what's happened there 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Stroll. I don't think he was. He had any physical issues, did he? He was. He was very clearly shaken up by that. Yeah, definitely. As you high would speed be. one though. Like more visibly shaken up than I've seen anyone in a, in a mm. little while, to be totally honest with you. Like there was a bit where he's taking the headrest off, and you could like you could see probably the it's probably the adrenaline pumping through him. To be fair, but you could like you could see the shake in his hands from it. Yeah, mm. um, and he just like had to take a minute to compose himself. But I mean, I'd I'd be very much the same if I'd had a similar accident. So yeah, it was rough. So that gave us yet another red flag and what became the fifth grid star in two races now, which is, <laughs> yeah, it's been a weird couple of weeks. They're crazy. So this was the first time all day that pole position actually got the best start. Uh, Bottas, Bottas, I, I felt like Bottas had been gifted another chance there to take yeah. the lead in a race that he should have been winning and he had a shocking start, didn't he? Absolutely yeah, well, awful. Took him, yeah. Yeah, Renault briefly running in second place. Yeah, that was the last chance and didn't do anything with it. Hamilton sort of disappeared at that point. Um, Bottas seemed to be coming back at him at one point towards the end, but it turned out to just be Hamilton having a slow lap to charge his battery so he could then get the fastest lap as well, as he tends to do. The restart did kind of ruin the race for a number of drivers. Um, Ricardo, who was looking pretty solid for third place, uh, although he initially took second, he was pretty defenseless against Bottas and then Albon on uh, on soft tyres. Yeah, not much he could have done there, which is a shame. Um, everyone was already uh, lining up their tattoo jokes for Cyril Beatable, but they'll have to wait a little longer. Hmm. Yeah. Did mean, however, Albon got his first podium in F one after at least two or three have gotten away from him in the last uh, not even a year. And I mean, it couldn't really have come at a better time for him either, could it? Like the criticism has been piling on and. The amount of people calling for them to swap Gasly back, especially after the back of Gasly winning last oh, week, it's yeah. it's pretty much perfect timing for Albon, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, so uh, it becomes a welcome. He, he needs to like um, build on it now as well, doesn't he? That's the that's the next thing really for him. I think is use it as positive vibes and build on it now and go and get another one. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> More importantly, and ultimately, he did the job that all along we've said that he needs to do, which is. When something goes wrong for Verstappen, he's there to step in and yeah. take that rest of rest place. And it's exactly what he did. He was, yeah, really good. The fact that he said on the radio after the race, thank you for sticking with me, was a, was a little telling. Um, <laughs> I think as much as you may not admit it, you can tell that the, the pressure's now been getting to him a little. But yeah, really, really nice to see him on the podium. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was also a nightmare for George Russell, who was looking... <sighs> pretty much set for ninth place for his first points in F1. He was uh, quite handily holding off all the people behind him, including uh, Vettel. And yeah, had an absolutely awful restart, basically dropped him all the way to the back. Yeah, He managed to fight back to 11th place behind Vettel, but couldn't quite close the gap, unfortunately. He was sort of screwed not only by the fact that he had a bad start, but also the fact that people behind him had warmer tyres as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah this, I'm really annoyed that. about this. this I'm, I am as well. I'm with you on this one. So it was like, was it Raikkonen? So Raikkonen and G- and um, Grosjean, Raikkonen and Grosjean, Grosjean, Raikkonen and Grosjean. Yeah, they were there to unlap themselves, and they effectively got sent out a lap before everyone else to do two warm up laps um, before the restart. So they're plum last, the two of them, and they've got a huge advantage over the cars ahead of them. Um, 
Grosjean with a with a car that's been taped back together during the red. <laughs> yeah, I loved seeing that. Absolutely sends it at the start. Goes around. I think he'd overtook like three or four cars by the time they got to turn one. Yeah. And same with Raikkonen. Raikkonen had got even further forward. And George kind of got swallowed up by that kind of mess. Mm. And Raikkonen almost took George out as well, actually, as he went past him. They sort of both... Grosjean and Raikkonen went either side of George Russell and then sort of like pincered back across him. And um, mm. it slowed that slowed him down even further. So I don't think his actual start was that mad. He just that bad. He just got completely mugged off by by cars on warmer tires, mm. effectively, and it ruined the yeah. rest of his race because he couldn't get himself past Vettel. Then he eventually did get past Grosjean, who just tumbled down the order because his car was being taped together. <laughs> so it's very clear yeah. that it was the start that got him up into those positions. Yeah. And he had a huge advantage, and yeah, Raikkonen obviously just sailed off into the distance ahead of Vettel even. So, yeah, very, very disappointing with that. It's a, it's a weird nuance to the rules, yeah. Because mm. it's it's the same thing as when when you're behind the safe car and you've got lap traffic and they let them overtake and go around and catch the back of the queue and we have to sit there and wait for a while. And one argument's always been for that, like why don't you just let them drop to the back of the queue and amend their number of laps completed to sync up with the rest of the field but then mm. they but they're the fuel advantage then aren't they exactly yeah they then won't have done the same distance yeah i think race that's so. the only reason for it is for them to actually do the distance for fuel and stuff mm. like that but i mean depending on the situation you like it'd be very probably very difficult to orchestrate but in my head all i'm thinking is you get you you you, you orchestrate a situation where as the um, as the lead cars are approaching, like coming round the final corner to line up on the grid, you send those two that are due to unlap themselves out the end out the end of the pit box, so that when the race starts, they're like halfway around the lap, and it's on them in the same way like it does with the safety car. Mm. They don't let them get all the way back round to the back of the train. Usually, it's just that they let them release themselves and go round and do a lap, and then the safety car will restart and. Yeah, fair enough. They'll eventually maybe tag themselves back onto the end, but they're not necessarily there for the restart. And maybe it needs something like that in that situation. Or even I, like, given how long the red flag was, send them out. Like, okay, you, the red flag is there because the track's not safe to drive on. But surely, after a certain amount of time, you could send those lap cars out as early as possible. Maybe even behind the safety car, so they have to go to a certain yeah. pace yeah. and get the couple of laps done. Then, then yeah. get them back in. So at least. They're yeah, not literally like that, arriving yeah. on the grid with nice, fresh, hot tires. It's, yeah. I, I think there's definitely a better way of doing it than what they did, that's for sure. Yeah, off the top of my head, because I can, I can kind of, there's definitely arguments against the stuff that we're saying here. Oh, but for off sure. Off the top of my head, I, ca- I can't think of like a perfect solution to it right now. I think, yeah, like it needs to be, for sure it needs to be not an advantage to be a lapped, yeah. No, nah, that just seems. <laughs> yeah, that should never be ridiculous. an advantage, should it? Yeah, um, I wonder if maybe they're just they're right during the red flag period. Maybe they're just sent round very slowly behind the safety car before everyone else has come into the pit. Yes, yeah. is that what you're saying? 
Oh no no, we we were talking about doing it as a just as early as once safe, the track really. once the track's clear. Yeah, they do a lap behind the safety car to unlap themselves and then rejoin the back of the train in the in the pits, same as everybody and else. It, mm. Under this situation, you probably could have done it straight away because it wasn't a red flag because the track was blocked or anything. It was basically a red flag because there was a barrier that needed repairing and there were marshals in the firing line. Mm. So mm. It was, if they were going behind the safety car at a reasonable pace, it would have been a perfectly safe thing to do. I, I get I what mean, you're saying there, but I think what <laughs> what's happening there though, Chris, is we're adding a layer of complexity to a situation that needs as few layers of complexity <laughs> yeah, as possible. That is already very complex. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's true, but I, I also begrudge a lapped car finishing in the points by overtaking someone that... Yeah, yeah for sure. There was there was a, a significant distance ahead of them originally. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what the There's something is. to be said for that. So I think oh, no, I'm not, maybe... Like, I'm not saying that me and Chris are right. No, 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 I no, think no, that the, there needs to be a better way of doing yeah. it. Though, for definitely. I think off the top of my head, while we've been chatting, just maybe, maybe those cars stay out behind the safety car at a very slow pace for mm. a little bit longer for an extra lap and then go in and join the back of the crocodile as they're queued up in the pit. Yes, because it wasn't an instant flag, be, was it? Again, was... In, yeah, in that situation, there's no block, there is no blockage on the track, so it's relatively safe to do so. And even if that is the case, if there is a blockage... Well, if there's a blockage on track, you just stop the cars and everyone's very careful anyway, don't you? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't I'm... know. I don't know what the answer is. I will say there's been a lot of discussion about all of this stuff, obviously us included, because we've just been talking about it for ages, but... This is something that's cropped up twice in two races now, having never happened before. And I bet we're not going to see these situations arise for quite a long time again now. I think it's just a weird oh, serendipity Chris, that Chris, this has happened Chris. a couple of But like how long has this I mean, red flag restart rule been in the rules? It's been years now. Not, and not that long. Like it's only been... It's been a good few not, years and it's, it's never like happened three or before. Four, three or four years. Three or four. Like. I mean, yeah, we have I got guess. one more visit to Italy coming up. It's true. I mean, who knows so what's going to go There's on red there. flags are plenty coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do think as well, as well, this... Well, yeah, as I was going to say, this circuit generates that more because just because there's no tarmac runoff, it's all gravel. And because it's not really a track that's actually set up for racing um, F1 cars for the most part, like you're going to get more safety cars and red flags out of track like this. But then again... Imola probably falls under that category as well, doesn't it? So, yeah. yeah. I think another factor, though, is that the fact that they've just never been to this track before. So a lot of these yeah. sort of mm. situations are just completely new to 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 every driver and every team. Like, yeah, totally. Who could, yeah. who could have predicted? I, you probably could predict that the safety car incident was going to happen, I think, given the way it turned out. Oh, They completely. knew, though, but then they could have easily... They had all the information, they had all the data, they could have mitigated against what happened. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But part of sort of what made this such a crazy crazy race was the fact that we've never been here before mm, you know totally, they've yeah. done a, some teams have done a bit of testing here and that's it this is an In all like four year old cars yeah so it was always going to be a little bit crazy i think it's just a lot of circumstance at play isn't it yeah I don't yeah. think we'll get the same. We might get a sort of similar kind of situation actually at Portimao because, like, the final corner there is not a corner to a Formula One car. It's a no. high G corner, but it's not. It's full throttle, no problem. Yeah. Um, and they haven't. Am I right in thinking they've never raced at Portimao before? No, they haven't. Not for F1. Yeah. So we'll probably get a similar kind of 
I wouldn't be surprised if we got a similar level of craziness. Maybe not quite to the extent of half the field getting wiped out, but yeah, maybe we, there there will be incident at that circuit for the fact that they've never been there before. Speaking of Portimao, so that, I've seen rumblings that um, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes to try and get um, Antonio Felix Acosta in a Formula One car in some capacity at that race, being what? the first Portuguese Grand Prix in a very good number of years and him being a Portuguese world champion right now. Um, whether that's a demonstration lap or an FP1 or something, I don't know. But yeah, apparently that's something mm. that's potentially on the cards. Will there be anyone anyway. there to see it? <laughs> yeah, they are having fans Yeah, that yeah. one. Are they? That was, that was one of the first ones that went on sale. Um, it went on sale before the, the tickets for... Um, Jello this week. In fact, I think I'm right in so. saying it sold out basically immediately as well. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm pretty much like, what were they, like I, ten I tickets. Think of, I was on the brink <laughs> of risking uh, Rona so that I could go. So. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be up for um, that. If I could get tickets, I'd totally be up for that. I don't think I'm going to be able to get his tickets for this one, though, lads. I'm afraid. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap up this race before we talk about other ones, though. I guess. Yes. Hamilton now one win away from Schumacher's record of 91 which is wild. In fact, if he, ne- if he wins the next two races, he means he'll break the record at the Nürburgring, which would be um, yeah. an interesting addendum to that, but there we go. Yeah. Even if Bottas wins every race now for the rest of the year, Hamilton only needs to come second and bag a couple of fastest laps to be champion. So he doesn't even need to bother winning anymore. He'll still be champion. Wow. <laughs> We've reached that point in the year. Wow. Just really to halfway through the season, that's the case. Yeah, I mean... I. I I feel like this has been a very typical weekend for Bottas his whole season. Like he's been fastest through the whole weekend up until qualifying. Um, looked in for his way, even when he gets a decent start, something goes his doesn't go his way to take that off him. Like I don't know. As, as much as Bottas in many ways just hasn't been good enough this season, I also think he's been very unlucky, and this whole weekend has kind of um, reflected that. Yeah, I can think of another driver who had a bit of bad luck this weekend in a different racing formula, also at Mugello. But I guess we'll get to that. We probably will get to that, yeah. I guess just to wrap this up, like, what do we think of Mugello as an F1 circuit? Like, coming into this race, a lot of people, myself included, thought it was going to be quite a dull one, given the nature of the circuit. Um, mm. You definitely couldn't call this a dull race, but I don't know. What do we think about it? Would Would you want to go back there for another race? I mean, I I think given time it would be a dull race. Like yeah. it's just, it's it's only been. I mean, you go watch those highlights, right, on the cut of YouTube. Literally everything is an incident or a safety car or a red flag restart. Yeah. Like it's there's there's not there's nothing else happened apart from some nice overtakes. Like during the restarts, nothing's really happened. And if it takes a restart to get that, then. But to, I mean, you can't just keep stopping and starting yeah, the race, can to, you? To be, fair, to be fair to Dom, shout out to Dom, the guy who cuts those highlights, um, there really wasn't that much other than oh, no, I'm not, to cut to. So. And I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even blaming the, the way that they've been cut. I'm saying I'm surprised he's got that much out of it, mate. That is what yeah, I'm saying. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I'm just name dropping, dude. Don't worry. Um, yeah, I think like I got to the middle of that race sort of after the first red flag. And I mean, partly 
it was symptomatic of there not just simply not being enough cars on track for there to be a really good banger of a race at that point. But like definitely mm. midway through, they were all a bit spaced out and they were all just sort of following each other, weren't they? He was only really Where, Ricardo making his way forward that gave us yeah. much to be interested in. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Russell as well. Russell became quite an interesting yeah, actually. Sort of little scenario before the red flag happened. That was that was sort of getting me to the edge of my seat. And then, yeah, Stroll's just, Stroll's huge accident. Just kind of, I mean, it's really unfortunate, A, for Stroll and B, for everyone watching the race mm. because it kind of like, it, it, it ended what could have turned into towards the end. It was just sort of starting to spice yeah. up around that point. Yeah. And um, it sort of turned it in just into a crash fest really into a, <laughs> into a crazy fest which no one really really wants to see i'd rather see proper racing i'll tell you what like epitomizes this race is the fact that the highlights had to skip from lap 28 to lap 40 it's never a good yeah. sign is it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of, nothing really happened there that, that's the that's the giveaway it, it almost <laughs> it almost feels to me a bit like do you remember the first race at baku when everyone was like this track's mad this is going to be an insane race and the yeah, first and year there happened. nothing happened and then every yeah. every year after that has been a decent race and i could kind of feel like Magello yeah. would be the opposite of that like we expected yeah. nothing and got loads and yeah. then it's, it'd sort of be diminishing returns, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah there's, there's an element of the fact that with it being an old school circuit and, and the way that stuff like the gravel traps are and and like basically if, if you make a mistake, you are quite heavily punished for it. So there is definitely an element of that there that would promote like that. I don't know, you might see people making mistakes and it being a retirement rather than them just recovering from it, kind of like what we did see. But... I think over a couple of races, well, I think if we had another race there, teams would already have it dialed in as to, right, this is how this is going to yeah. roll, this is what needs to happen here. Like They'll already know how to well, maximise that circuit I mean, next time, I reckon. To a degree, yeah. I think, I think I'd like to see another race there. Just, I'd like to see a normal race there, just to yeah. have a barometer as to how a normal race would pan out there, because we just simply don't have that at the moment. But yeah. do I hold out hope that it would be an amazing race? I really don't know if it generates such great racing. I think turn one's interesting it, because there's a lot of lines through there and that's why we saw the kind of action that we did at the start. I just wonder if yeah. it's a little bit too much for F1 and maybe F, it, it's a great track. It is an amazing track, but I just don't think it's right for F1. Now, I I would maybe be tempted to take the new aeroad cars there once they change. Yeah, yeah maybe. See how it pans out with those. Yeah. Um, where the idea is that they can follow better through these types of corners. Mm. So it would be very... Because you might get that little added bonus um, and get the action that, that it deserves. Yeah. But and you still get the slipstream other, as well. Other than that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I'd maybe consider that, but I wouldn't hold out hope. I wasn't very hopeful before, <laughs> and yeah. I'm still very dubious because it took think, two red like, flags to actually cause bef- what bef- we got. <laughs> before this race, I was kind of hoping that it would be a, a tire degradation race, where a bit like Silverstone, where you know you've got yeah. people who are really marginal on their tires and sort of maybe seeing action as a consequence of that where with differentials yeah. between in speed between cars that kind of thing i was hoping that would sort of bring it in but there just there just weren't enough cars on track for it to no. become a thing and the fact that they were all like synchronized with their pit stops and stuff or their tire changes because of the red flags meant yeah. that 
it also I think that didn't help the middle bit massively. Yeah. I think that did a lot of damage to the race, the fact that they were all just given resets and basically yeah, had yeah. a series of sprint races <laughs> where a Grand Prix would normally we take did, place. We did basically so it yeah. is, it's a good assessment of it to be honest. Well did you hear three three little sprint races? Did you hear Vettel after the race on the radio? He was like, Are we yeah. doing another restart or are we finally done it? <laughs> Should we do a driver of the day? Sure. Oh it's hard actually to think I mean I mean, for me, I'm very tempted by an unlucky Ricardo. Um, well, I mean, Al- Albon, Albon was pretty solid yeah. for the most part. Other, he had, it didn't have the best of the starts, but I mean, generally, he made back his places and in some style as well. Mm. Yeah, he d- and he got his podium. He sort of had to do it the so, hard way, didn't he? Like he dropped to sixth yeah. or seventh after that last restart and had to fight his way back through. Um. Yeah, I remember thinking during the race when it looked like Albon was going to catch Ricardo that driver of the day is probably going to be whichever one of these two ends up getting third place. Yeah, um, yeah, I think the official one was Danny Rick. It was, it? yeah. But I think at the point where most of those votes came in, he was running third. Mm. Uh, I think I'll go with Albon. I think that's I'm I'm down with that. Yeah, my instinct leans towards Albon as well. That was the first thing that popped in my head, so I'm going to go with that. Yeah, nice in agreement. That road. Yeah. What about nice. move of the day? Uh, Kimi Raikkonen diving into the pits at the last <laughs> second and uh, getting himself a penalty. That was a pretty sweet move. For what? For what? Oh, that, that radio was so good. <laughs> it was. I did the uh, I did the thing for that, and we we sort of went to check it over after I'd done it, and I just I couldn't stop laughing at it. <laughs> and then I just spent the Matt. the entire rest of the the shift just doing impressions of Kimi Raikkonen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my favorite, my favorite thing has to be the people that have memed that into turn down. But <laughs> oh, really? I don't, oh. I don't, I don't know who they are out there on the internet, but somebody put turn down for what? Oh, over that's the top very of it, good. And it's a delight. <laughs> a time for that. Uh, but actual move of the day, I, I saw. You know, I saw Grosjean do a really spicy move Ooh. on the outside of turn no. one. No, believe it or not, don't. yeah, yeah. And how, how much of his car did he leave behind? Two, outside of turn one, or two, I can't remember now, but <laughs> it, yeah, but um, it was a, it was a spicy move. So that's that's the one really good move that I saw. Obviously, I was working during the race, oh. so I didn't see the entire race. I'll give you a candidate that I don't think's had enough coverage. Um, personally, I don't think enough people have pointed it out, and that is uh, Alex Albon going around the outside of. Uh, Sergio Perez was that the one after one of the, the last restart? I think it was. Yeah, yeah that's the one I it was thought. Around well. the outside of turn three, like a lot of people were really uh, heaping a lot of praise on the one that he did around Danny Rick. I think what was t- it was in turn one yeah. later on, but I, I much preferred the one on Perez around the outside of three. That was ballsy to put keep his foot in there and and get around the outside. That that took some stones. I don't know about you guys, <laughs> but when it looked like Albon was looking good for a podium. Every time he got near another car, I was just like, don't, please don't, <laughs> not again. I can't watch this happen again. Yeah. And then when he got past Ricardo and his engineer was like, right, let's go after Bottas. I was like, no, no, third's fine. No need to risk overtaking anyone else. We know what happens here. We'll just stick with third. <laughs> yeah, I like that Albon one as well, though. That was my choice. Okay, I'm, nice. I'm handily outvoted then. I guess Grosjean's not going to get move of the day after all. <laughs> no way no way sir <laughs> i mean I, I may see afterwards and and feel like i made a mistake here but having not seen it <laughs> yeah fair fair this is fair and then finally honestly what the f- 
are we doing here? I, I, I just before we go into this, <laughs> go, you yes. just reminded me of something. I, for the first time in my life, I heard that radio uncensored today. Oh, really? The, en- wow. the entire sort of, uh, what's the word, <laughs> exchange, Re- yeah. replete with swear words. <laughs> and yeah, it's one of the, it's still, I mean, it's a, it's a shame. Uh, it's not. Sochi's next, isn't it? Yeah. Sochi's it's, next. It's a, so so we were doing like edits and prep for it. Yeah. Like, yeah. honestly, like, <laughs> it's such a shame that that's not out in the real world because <laughs> uncensored because it is one of the funniest bits of team radio, I think. I, and I've heard a lot of team radio, I can tell you. <laughs> that is probably the funniest team radio I've ever, ever, ever heard still to this day. It's fantastic. Anyway, I, I mean, back to Miguelo. <laughs> I kind of wish I'd somehow managed to clip the Kimi Raikkonen one. The Kimi <laughs> Raikkonen one's good as well. I, I heard that one uncensored, and that's that's pretty good as well. It's a shame, like, because if when that happened, obviously, like nowadays, like on F1 TV, you do get the uncensored team radio, so you do yeah, get a yeah. Refin and Jeff in. Um, little advert, little free advertising for F1 there, but um. <laughs> The uh, yeah, in those days, F1 TV didn't really exist as a proper thing, it was kind of like still in yeah. experimental stages at that point. So, um, the world didn't, the world will never get to experience the uh, Sebastian Vettel rant in it in all of its glory, <laughs> but I can assure <laughs> you it's excellent. <laughs> do we have a WTF though? There's a very clear one, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's the restart, restart yeah. Car pilot put a race restart's a pretty glaring one. Absolute um, shambles. I think, like, if you're looking for, I mean, that's obviously a very visual kind of, you know, obvious one. I think if you're going for something a bit more, uh, kind of like, I don't know, like a bit different, I'd say like the the Raikkonen and Grosjean getting to go around and warm up their tires yeah. and such a huge oversight in the in the rules there. I think that's a pretty WTF thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm biased because I'm a big Russell fan and I have been for a long time. But hmm. to me, that's that's pretty WTF. Like it's just such a no. Glaring, yeah, it is glaring at obvious mess in the rules there. But yeah, I mean, you've got to give it to the pileup, surely. I think it's, it's got to be the obvious so, one, hasn't yeah. it? So clear. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I don't think there was ever any other candidate after that no. happened. <laughs> It would have taken a lot to outdo that. Yeah, it would have taken something special to outdo that. A UFO has landed on the track. Yeah, yeah. A giant eagle has cast a shadow upon the circus. (laughs) What next? (laughs) What next? Takeaways? Takeaways. Sponsored sponsored by Just Eat and Deliveroo this week. Not not yet. Get in touch. (laughs) Mention Uber Eats as well. And Uber Eats. Yeah, Uber Eats. Yeah, please give us free food. Um, give, so take give me away, money now. Oh, money me now. Actual <laughs> stomach actually rumbled then as I said that. <laughs> oh, and again. Um, <clears throat> so <laughs> takeaways. Uh, last week we asked, will McLaren continue their good form or will the midfield battle swing once more? What would you say? I'd say that it was a. I mean, Norris did. Or Norris had a good a good run, didn't he? I think Norris just yeah. kind of stayed out of trouble though, more than anything. Um, would you say so? Their pace wasn't great all weekend. Um, then again, neither I mean, was racing points, to be honest. Like, they qualified okay, but Renault probably looked... Yeah, Renault looked the yeah. fastest again, didn't they? Yeah. It's it's nice having such a, like, a, a mixed bag when it comes to the midfield, though, to be honest. Like, it's nice that it is unpredictable what's going to happen yeah. with, with those teams. And it's nice that, like, 
certain circuits are suiting McLaren, certain ones are suiting Racing Point, others are suiting Renault. Like it means that <laughs> there is actually some entertainment down the grid as to who will finish where. Yeah, if it, rather than it being a complete foregone co- conclusion. If it weren't for Mercedes, would be saying that Formula One is alive and well, wouldn't we? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a. Yeah, so you would so in answer to that, we'd probably say it has swung a little bit back in the direction of Renault, hasn't it? In this in this instance, yeah. I mean, the constructors now, um, yeah, McLaren are still hanging on to third, but Racing Point yep. are only fourteen points behind, and then Renault are a further nine behind them. So. Yeah, that that fight for third could change week on week at this point. Yeah, and AlphaTauri are just um, not that far behind uh, Ferrari. Catch you, Ferrari, yeah, yeah, sixty six points yeah. for Ferrari, fifty three points for AlphaTauri. Um, I, I will continue to call them AlphaTauri, despite what everyone says, because I just can't stomach saying AlphaTauri every week. Um, but it was Alpha Terry. Yeah, that, initially everyone seemed so, to say it was Alpha Terry, but now some people, yeah, seem to be leaning back towards the Tory. Yeah. Just call them Dietrich's clothes. Call them Toro Rosso and be done with it. Yeah, surely. It's, it's a better <laughs> name. Yes. A better name. Um, next takeaway um, Is there any hope for Ferrari at their special race? Well, no. Probably. Well, I mean, they got both cars in the points, which is more than I expected. Yeah. But they had to ask the rest of the field to move out of the way into a barrier True. to achieve it. Yeah. I mean, the <laughs> yeah, race they... itself was pretty interesting, but Ferrari's mm-hmm. race itself, maybe not. And yeah. then the... So that's the next one. Will a new circuit to F1 be able to produce good racing? <laughs> Jury's out, I think, on that one. I think we didn't have enough yeah, cars it... on the track to... No, there wasn't an opportunity. A... No. Yeah, it's true. So... I'd look like we've already said. I, I, I personally would love to see him go around there again, just to sort of have a fair test, I guess, because it's not really a very good experiment when half of your um, test subjects, yeah, <laughs> sort of fail to hate retirement. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, do you, there was some good racing. I think turn one and the first chicane, we did see some interesting moves and some yeah. stuff. It, it, you can see that. I think you can see potential if I was going to sort of lean towards a good or bad. I'd probably be like leaning maybe towards kind of good right it's now. It's definitely but... better than I expected. Yeah. But yeah, I think jury needs to remain out yeah. on that one. Yeah. I'd just love definitely. to see a normal scenario there where they're putting you know, proper, proper work into the tyres and yeah, I think the tyres would be much, much more of a factor. I think it would have been a two-star. Yeah, for sure it would have been a two-star. Absolutely no doubt in my mind. I mean, what we saw one car have its tyres fail and that was yeah. after a reset. So well, yeah. definitely, definitely, definitely it would have been a two-stop race in my mind. There's no doubt about that. Um, and the final one is, will the engine mode rule change continue to affect the racing? I think that it has continued to affect the racing. I think that people would have been catching each other up a little bit more quickly, probably in the along the straight, had they been able to, you know, yeah. change the power mode in their car. There's no doubt about that for me. Yeah, and which kind of leans towards it negatively affecting racing, doesn't it? Like, mm. 
you don't want it's it's tricky. You don't want someone to be able to like flick a switch and they have lots of power to just cruise past someone, but you also don't want someone just there's nothing I can do here. There's more power in the engine, yeah, but yeah. I'm not allowed to use it, so I just have to sit here and not overtake. So Yeah. It just takes a dimension of attack and defend away from the toolbox it does, of the yeah. drivers, it almost feels like. I mean, last week I was praising it. Last week I was like, Oh, it's all down to the driver, it's up to the driver, this, mm. that, and the other. But Actually, like now that it's swung the other way and it's gone against probably my favorite driver on the grid, <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel the opposite. Weird I sound that. like a typical I mean, Formula One fan, don't I? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the thing would be is force them all to just set it to max and leave it. <laughs> that would be so brilliant. Like, that would be so I mean, good. I like, think Mercedes would just run away with it though, if that was the case. I'd, yeah, but I think, I think we'd see a lot more reliability issues. But then again, that's why they don't want them to do it, I guess. That's probably why yeah, they're yeah, unreliability is not a good look for manufacturers, is it? Yeah. No, but make so. a reliable engine is the solution. Yeah. Or... Make a less powerful, more reliable engine. Yeah. The thing it's is, like, at this point as well, it's no good framing it as would it stop Mercedes when you go not? Like, I mean, Mercedes have won a race on no, three wheels this season. Like, you're just not going to yeah. stop them doing it. God, yeah, I forgot all about that. So, yeah, they're the takeaways for this week. With that, then, shall I do some predictions? Yeah. Yes, let's. So. For the three of us, it's quite simple. We all got the double ham and nothing more. Big time. So two points apiece. Um, Ryan Wardle, Wardle, or Wardell, Wardle, I'm assuming, um, must be as unlucky as Pierre Gasly getting squeezed out of turn one in the first race after his victory because he finished this week with 4.5. Oh, so close. Um, wow, that's unlucky, Ryan. Basically, it's very unlucky. Yeah, the... The double ham, correctly guessing Pierre Gasly as the first DNF, um, correctly finishing where Magnussen ended up in that just belly of madness, and um, very, very close to the number of finishers, guessing 14. That was the closest anyone got. Um, and Ryan was one of only two people, Zoe F being the other one that said 14, so it's half a point each for you two. I mean, to even but, come yeah. that close with 14 is a hell of a, a prediction. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um in terms of the standings, that leaves a, th- a three-way tie for the lead at the minute. Ooh. Richard Garvey, Brendan Bain, and Nathan Bailey are all tied on 18 points at the top. Uh, in terms of us, not really much has changed, except we're falling further down the, <laughs> the thing. Yeah. Uh, Stu's now 12th with 15 and a half, and 27th with 14, and Chris is 93rd with 10. Oh, Chris is moving up a little bit. You were Moving on up. Yeah, actually, you might have. You might I have, am. Yeah. I'm, I'm in double digits now, not triple digits. That's... Yeah. I'll take Triple that at this digits. point. Goodness, imagine that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Let's have a quick quick feeder series corner before we go into the inbox. It was the last weekend of Formula 3 this year, uh, the weekend just gone. Uh, the title was won by Australian Oscar Piastri, his main title rival, Logan Sargent, who we spoke about a week or two ago, was taken out on the first lap in just an incident that he had nothing to do with, really. It was incredibly unlucky. There was an incredible drive from... Title outsider Theo Porcher, who I think needed to come in the top two or three, and Piastri not score points, and it nearly happened, but Piastri managed to recover up to eighth place, which is enough for him to take that title. Um, it's been an amazing F three season, though. It's been yeah. super close the whole way. I think all three of those drivers deserve to take the step up to F two next season. Yeah, certainly hope so. A shout out to Vesti as well. He's had a really, yeah. really, really strong yeah. end to the season. Um, scored big big points from sort of Spain well Belgium onwards 
And um, yeah, I think he just needed a couple more races. He, he was really, really on an upward tick, that guy. But yeah. Yeah, just not enough races in the season for him, I'm afraid. No, lots of lots of very good talent though coming through, uh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. In F2, it was kind of contrasting fortunes for the title contenders. Uh, Mick Schumacher now leads the championship by eight points from Callum Eilat, who had a pretty poor weekend, all in all. Um, he was a, one of many drivers who got caught out by a, a safety car. Um made a, a, a rare sprint race pit stop and it didn't pay off for a lot of people. Um, also, Renault Academy driver Christian Lungard is now only eight points behind uh, after he won the sprint race. It, there's been reports this weekend claiming that Ferrari have already guaranteed Mick Schumacher an F1 seat next season if he finishes in the top three in Formula 2. So, I mean, we, we were talking a few weeks ago about how that title race is looking a bit like which Ferrari driver gets one of the alpha seats, but yeah. supposedly Mick Schumacher doesn't even need the title. Top three is apparently enough for him. Yeah. I mean, when you've got a name like Schumacher and you're racing in F2 and you're sponsored by Ferrari. Yeah. I think if he doesn't win the title, I think it would be very harsh on whichever of the other Ferrari drivers yeah. does win. Then again, Ferrari could easily drop one driver in alpha and another driver in Haas at this point. So, it's not outside the realm of possibility that two of them take the step up, but we'll see. I hope he does. You know, I, I mean, I get the sort of you know, I get the argument of has he really earned it, but I think you know, there's no better better measure of a driver than the championship scoreboard, and he's at the top of it right now. So yeah, he's been right. Yeah, exactly. And he's definitely doing what he did in F three and in yeah. F four, which is start off a little ropey and then the second half of the season yeah. just massively ramp we, up. We saw him race, didn't we, at Silverstone? We did, yeah. It was um yeah. but we went to see World Endurance Championship, was it, was it a few World years Ju- ago? Yeah, it was European F three, yeah. I think. That, yeah. Yeah. I say, I, 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 that was yeah, you will it will have been F three because I saw him at um Go on. Uh, Hockenheim the same year. Yes, yeah. of course. You guys went to World Endurance and I was in Germany. Yeah. yeah. And um, um, we, we were like, well, we don't really rate this guy. Because he, he didn't do such a great job that, was, that week. Yeah. But I think the that was, we, we him, but it was the first or second race of the season, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And it, and obviously that, that goes along with the theory of, you know, he's a driver who once he gets in the car, first half of the season, maybe not the best. It just takes him a little yeah. bit of time. And then once he finds his groove, he's... He's you know he he's difficult to get out of it. So, yeah. I mean, here's, here's one for just perspective for you for from that Formula Three season. So, he didn't win until round fifteen, and then he won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven of the remaining fourteen wow. races, and he was on the podium for another one, two, three, four, four of those. Wow. So yeah. So he, I mean, once he gets that winning feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. It's just like kid knows how to win. Yeah, in his genes, some might say. Yeah, I do. I do want to see him make the step up, but I want to see him do it on merit. And I think for yeah. his, oh, yeah. for his sake, as much as anyone else, if he finishes third in this championship and gets the move up, everyone's just going to say, "Yeah, but he's only got that seat because his surname Schumacher, hasn't he?" Whereas if he can win Formula Two, which is no mean feat, like you can't really. Yeah. You can't really deny the Formula 2 winner a shot in F1, can you? Exactly. No, exactly. you're right. But I think we've had drivers who haven't won Formula 2 in F1. We've got F, you know, we've got three yeah. dri- we've got two drivers who it's true. came directly from F2 who we rate really 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 highly, you know, Lando Norris and Alex Albon mm. who didn't win the F2 championship. Yeah, it's a good they point. Second and third. So, and and you know, we think yeah. they're great. So 
to be leading the F2 championship with what two two rounds to go, so four races yeah, to go, yeah. two sprints four and races. two features, then he's in a very good position. I think whatever he does next season, he's earned it. Yeah, yeah I think so. He's, he's definitely there's a very close fight to be had there, and he's very much like um, the year we had Lando and George and. Um, Alex Albon in all in F two together because it was going backwards and forwards between them at one point, wasn't mm-hmm. it? And they were yeah. all very close to each other. Like at the minute, you got Schumacher twenty one points ahead of the guy in fourth place, which is Schwartzman. And Schwartzman was leading it a couple of rounds ago. Yeah. So it's you know it, it shows how quick these things can swing as well. Yeah, really, absolutely. Um, another name we've mentioned a few times is Yuki Tsunoda, the Red Bull youngster. Um, in what may be good news for uh, Daniel Kvyat, he's now slipped to sixth in the standings, meaning he's falling further and further away from the fourth place he needs to guarantee a super license and almost certainly an AlphaTauri seat next year. Um, if he can't get back in that fourth, that's going to make the AlphaTauri seats next season a little more interesting. Mm. Mm. Which, well, along a similar line, mentioned too to uh, Yuri Vips, who's also a Rebel Junior. Um, he came into F2 um, fairly late in the day. This was only his sixth F2 race, mm. the sprint race on Sunday, uh, and he managed to get a podium, which is uh, damn impressive. And in fact, he was supposed to be flying to Japan to do Super Formula for them in a couple of weeks' time, but he's actually now going to stay in Europe to contest the Sochi race. So impressed are they with how he's doing in Formula 2, so... He's definitely another mm. name to keep an eye on in the Red Bull camp. Yeah, he's one we've looked at before as well, isn't he? Yeah. His potential for moving up. But, I mean, you, you need to, in an ideal world, you need to have a decent season in F2 to be properly ready, I think. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the, that's the only real preparation you can ever get for that step up, I think. And he's had a rough year with kind of the way um, COVID has kind of messed things up. Yeah. He's ended up just doing like a couple of races in one series and a couple in another. So he's never really been in a position to gain any super license points. Yeah. There's a good chance considering those two that next season you might be looking at Red Bull actually having a problem again where potentially yeah. they've got Vips and Sonoda both both challenging for the title and one of them might be looking at winning it, like depending on, on you know how the form continues and stuff. There's a good chance of that anyway. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's finish up with some inbox, shall we? Wesley Paul says, this isn't actually shaping up to be one of the most exciting in a while. Do you think it would be the same if we had the original slate of races? Should F1 look at mixing things up in the future? Miguelo was much better than anticipated. We sort of already talked about the fact that Mugello was definitely an interesting place to go to. I mean, for me, ideal world, like we've, I'm loving this season because we go into these like different places. Like I'm really yeah. excited to see what Imola and he's liking to go back to Istanbul and stuff like that yeah. and the mad Portimao outer loop that they're doing. Well. Yeah, Portimao is going to be awesome. In an ideal world, rather than having this calendar of 20-odd races that just sort of rinse and repeats, I'd much rather they have a pool of like 30 or 40 races and then some of them only turn up on the calendar like every second or third year. Like, well, Yeah, that would be... A, I mean, I used, so, yeah, it'd be really good. I used to enjoy him alternating the German one because you got yeah. to see both tracks. Like, I'm, I imagine the circuits might not be best pleased that they miss out on a year, but um, something to work around, isn't it? And like, let's not forget, we'll, we will get the Nürburgring this year as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if the Italian circuits now came to agreement to all save themselves a bit of money, that... 
uh, Monza, Mugello, and Imola alternated this Helling Grand Prix. That'd be fantastic. I'd be all for well, that. Three yeah. Italians agreeing on something, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean the other thing as well, I guess, is like the way that these races have been organised. That we've had like constant triple headers and stuff. It does show that really, like as much as the teams and people moaned a bit about, oh, transport's going to be an issue and all this stuff, they're actually very capable of putting back to back to back maybe even another fourth one in there. They're very capable of doing it. So, I mean, condensing the season might be what's adding a factor to this, not necessarily just the circuits. It's more the fact that, you know, if if you have a poor weekend and you think the problem's aero, you've got two weeks to, to start thinking about what you're going to do with it and, like, off time to put your finger on that problem. And hmm. Whereas being thrown into a race every weekend, like... I think that's what's helping the midfield stay a little bit mixed up yeah. because nobody's really got the time to to properly yeah. press on fixing an issue or developing the car an extensive amount. Like they're just having to go race to race to race and do what they can within yeah. that time. And it probably is a lot of pressure on the teams, and I'm probably being a bit harsh to to them saying that they should. <laughs> this is the best way to do it, but. I think that's probably an element of why we've seen some interesting mixed-up races as well in yeah. the midfield. I mean, th- there's no doubt about it. It's balls to the wall. You're, yeah. you're literally, you know, you identify a problem and there is no time. Even even in what we do, you, you know, we identify issues among the among the sort of processes that we work for on a race weekend. And you just don't have time to implement fixes because they come so thick and fast. There's yeah. so much stuff happening that you just have to, you know, already we're looking at, like literally the race ends in in Italy and two weeks from now we've got Russia and we're already doing edits for Russia. So Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's not it's really, really non stop. And that's with a two week gap. So just think with with the one week gaps, it's literally the amount of stuff, the amount of ideas that people come up with and the amount of things that sort of we we just we come up with of, of things to make that never get made because there's only so much time in the day. So yeah, if you if you factor that back towards what the teams are doing, you know the teams have, have an issue with the car, and yeah, they might have an idea of how to fix it, but they can't really like nail down exactly what they're going to do about it necessarily all the time in the same way that they would if there was a bigger gap. So yeah, for sure, you're right, Chris, uh, Tom. It's definitely definitely have an effect on the midfield. Yeah, absolutely. Next, Stephen Edwards says, What a race, loved it. I thought Lance was driving better than Checo, regardless of upgrades. He's Bottas' championship over after he was outraced again. And what did you make of the radio call for tyres that are whatever Lewis doesn't use? Yeah, I forgot Ooh, about that. Oh, yeah, I like that one. That's a good question. Um, I like I liked that. I liked course. hearing Bottas do that. Like, yes. that was it kind shows of. He's f- got a bit of, bit of fight left in him. Mm, definitely. Because yeah. he's. But he knows that he's never going to realistically beat Hamilton from second if they're on exactly the same strategy is he so yeah 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 I, re- I thought that was good to hear that that sort of gave me some hope that he's not a completely defeated man at this point yeah he's not going to be like yeah, just definitely. pushed over for the rest of the season that'd be just the worst if that happens yeah hopefully um, yeah and you do like for me from where I'm sitting like I'd like to see more fight on track from Bottas on a race weekend like I don't feel like he I've said this numerous times now this season I don't think he's got that same fire as what Lewis has. Yeah. When you and... look back at the like the way 
Hamilton and Rosberg used to go into turn one yeah. together and compare that to how Hamilton and Bottas do it. Like, I'm sure the people at Mercedes are much happier this way, but yeah, the, it doesn't make for an exciting know, championship. Exactly. Those two used to go into turn one, elbow to elbow, toe to toe, neck yeah. and neck every single time. And you'd be holding your breath at the start of every race. You'd be like, who's going to, what's going to, are they going to hit each other? Are they going to come into contact? And you just, you'd just never, ever, get that sense with Bottas that he's no, going to there's going to yeah. be any fireworks between those two Bottas is whatever you think whatever whatever the idea is whatever you see on TV Bottas is number two, whatever Mercedes say Bottas is number two driver of that team there's no doubt about that in my mind yeah sadly but sad but true mm. um Matthew Capitano says with a big crash I was under the impression that once the safety car went, lights went out there was to be no more warming up of the tires or weaving side to side and all cars must stay single fire until they cross the start finish line. Uh, I think that had a lot to do with the crash, but I could be wrong. Um, I don't think there's a rule about single file. Um, no, it's, I don't think there's a rule about what you do in terms of weaving. To be honest, it's, it's yeah, really... it's more just about maintaining a speed and not constantly speeding up and slowing down. That's all the rules really say about it. Um, That's only for of... the lead car as well. That doesn't apply to the rest of the field. No, it's the whole field. Yeah. They're not supposed to be. Is it? Yeah, I think so. The whole oh, field's not supposed, not supposed to be supposed more than be... a car. Like, yeah, they're not supposed to be more than a certain distance behind the other yeah. car. But yeah, like, in terms yeah of, basically. Like, speeding up and slowing down thing, I think I thought that was a specific rule for the leading car. It might be. Um, but yeah, the weaving is certainly, yeah, nothing nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Um, Dustin Yantos says, do you think Lewis will get in trouble with sponsors, etc., for the shirt he wore after the race? I was very happy to see him wearing that shirt after the race. I think there's absolutely yep. nothing wrong with what he's doing um, and he's right to be doing it will he get in trouble with spon- probably not sponsors the FIA have said they're looking at it in inverted commas but if the FIA do anything sporting against him about it then I think that would be completely wrong and it would fly in the face of the troubles that we have in the world at the moment yeah mm. um, for context this is the the fact that Lewis was wearing a t-shirt that said arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor both before the race and on the podium. I should just say fly yeah. in the face of the people looking for solutions to the problems we have in the world. Yes. <laughs> to be honest, I think the fact that the FIA have even said that considering looking at it is already... It's ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous. Um, I mean, if the FIA do anything about this other than say it's fine... F1 can throw We Race as one in the bin at that point. Like it just completely un- yeah. undermines everything that's been done this season. It's. I really hope the FIA read the room on this one and don't. Well, don't pull an FIA because they don't have a good history of making smart decisions, do they? Yeah. The important thing is as well, it's not political at all. Like if Lewis is wearing a T-shirt that yeah. said "Vote for Joe Biden" and then the cops will be arrested, yeah. fair enough. That's a political statement, but. Yeah, you know that that's always the argument that's thrown. It's like, oh, keep politics out of sport. I mean, firstly, if you want to keep politics out of sport, you need to disband the FIA because they're the most political organisation. Yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 just not. And I mean, on the sponsors things, like, okay, yeah, maybe the sponsors might be slightly miffed that their name wasn't on the podium, but I bet you not a single one of those sponsors are going to say a single word about it because it's just yeah, so do a lot there's more just damage. bigger things in the world and. I, I said this on Twitter, like as part of a conversation a few people were having. Like, I can't think of another sports person except maybe Colin Kaepernick 
own possibly uh, what's her name the tennis player who just won the US Open Naomi Osaka she has also been wearing a lot of slogan things and other than those two I don't think there's a single sports person that's doing more to use their platform for good than Lewis Hamilton is and just anything other than applauding him for that I just yeah. don't think anyone should have any time for I think he should be yeah yeah held on a pedestal for that um yeah and we've said before like yeah. in many ways Hamilton's bigger than F1 these days and yeah he's he's using that for all the right things so the good on him yeah absolutely yeah That's uh next one Julian Hajar says people are saying this is proving we need more unpredictability less practice time before races um, I'm thinking this is proving we don't need reverse grid races or other gimmicks as the sport is entertaining in and of itself and we shouldn't mess with it. I don't think we should reduce practice time. It's already ridiculous that the drivers only get that much time. Athletes in other sports practice every day and night year round. These guys have three hours before a race and we want to shorten that. Do you agree or disagree? Um, yeah, three hours before each race and then all the simulator time that they get before, <laughs> like all season. Um the thing is like and f1 teams will say the same thing up to a point like julian has a point there but if that was true we wouldn't spend the first 20 minutes of fp3 every week with nothing happening like this weekend just gone we were at a circuit they have literally never driven before at least in f1 cars most of the drivers had literally never driven there and 20 minutes into FP3, they were showing nice shots of some scenery because there was literally nothing happening on the track. And like, yeah, I think I think that's your key, isn't it? Take it away from them, and then they've got to justify why they need it. Like, they don't use it. If they don't use it. They don't need it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. mm. it's just if you, if it's, if if the sports an entertainment sport, which is what they say it is all the time, then take away the. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna bang this drum again as well, and I don't even apologize for it. Take away <laughs> the non, the unentertaining aspects of it, which is Friday practice, uh, Saturday morning practice, FP3. Yeah. Replace it with qualifying as we have it now, and let's have a sprint race, reverse grid sprint, reverse championship grid sprint race mm. on a Saturday afternoon. Let's just let's just have at it. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean. As we're banging the same drum, like you say, like practice sessions, we'll watch them if we happen to be there available. And no one's going digging out the highlights, like, oh, what happened in FP2? Yeah, like, literally, no I've one seen cares. More practice sessions this season than I care to mention. Like, I am not enjoying <laughs> I mean, Friday practice, Saturday practice, and I'm like, Friday practice sometimes is meh. A lot of the time is meh. Yeah, it's if they actually used it and there was some meaningful running in it, it wouldn't be as bad. Exactly, there, yeah. There just, there just isn't. There just isn't. And I think that they can't even use the tyre the, the tire excuse there. They used to use the rubbish tyre excuse of, oh, well, you only give us so many sets of tyres and we don't want to ruin them. But, so, all right, then here's a set of tyres that you can use in practice. They did that to encourage them mm, to go and out still on don't. Fridays and they still don't bother. Yeah. They still don't do it. So, like, what's the point? Yeah, it's because they don't <clears> need the practice. That's what I mean. Exactly. They need they need a degree of practice. They need probably those two sessions on a Friday. They do, but by the time they get to Saturday morning, they know they they've got it figured out. They go yeah. to all the, most of these circuits. They go to often enough, and like you just said, the ones that they don't go to, they've clearly figured it out because they're not running yeah. on a on a Saturday morning. So. Well, give like, them a session that they have to run and then give them another session that they have to run and then let's all be entertained by watching what we all love to see, which is cars on track racing each other. Yeah. I mean, Hamilton, by his own admission, said it took him 
a while to get to grips with that circuit, which is why it was quite slow through the um, first couple of practice sessions. Um, but he said he actually did some simulator time ahead of this race, which he never normally does. Hamilton never normally goes near the simulator. And he said he didn't think it helped him in the slightest. So, yeah. and even with that, he still sat out half a practice session. So, yeah. Yeah. Just they're not so talented, for it. these guys. They're just exactly, they're that yeah. good that they just don't need it. That's the thing. Like they're, yeah. they're so so good at it, and the cars are so easy to drive these days as well compared to what they were. Like they, you know, they, they handle so well. They're really you saw in Q in, in qualifying how the cars lined up on the grid. It was basically team by team for the most part. So it, it just shows you what a non-challenging circuit this is for a driver to put a lap in. Like they're they're going round the two fastest corners flat out that in most of a formulas, 99% of a formulas, those are pretty hair raising corners, but in a formula one car, they're just easy peasy. I will say, um, I just remembered a a late candidate for move of the day was, um, Russell in qualifying (laughs) said he went through turn six flat out for the first time and said, guess I'm going to do turn seven flat out as well now then. And that was when he just like ran wide and just kept his foot in at like 170 miles an hour on the gravel. <laughs> it, uh, it, it, cost, it cost him a few qualifying places, but uh, respect to him for that. Yeah. Uh, last one for this week. Uh, Tom Murray says, with Ferrari running a livery that, while beautiful, heavily re- resembles a bag of frazzles. <laughs> <laughs> Classic UK crisp based snack, well, maize based snack for you all <laughs> Uh, Williams being owned by a company that might as well uh, be called Doritos Capital. Could we start seeing crisps become the new tobacco giants? Uh, any others you could think of that would match the current or next season's grid? We could see a grid as brightly coloured as the NASCAR grid uh, with Ross inevitably listening to your podcast. Please put him in touch with me when he agrees and realises it's a good idea. I'll see, I'll drop I mean... I don't know. McLaren's like, a bit nicknacks. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess depending on where Aston Martin goes, they might look like a bag of cheese and onion, yeah. anything or Renault's or salt quavers. and vinegar walkers. Actually, yeah, yeah Renault. Well, Renault will they still be quavers when they go blue again? Yeah, they're going blue, aren't they? So they're going oh going... yeah, yeah. Uh, they'll Red be like... Bull Monster Munch for Red Bull. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely Monster Munch for Red Bull. Uh, and I mean, well, I mean, racing point of prawn cocktails, the fact that's going away is a win as far as I'm yeah. concerned. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That's, that's one of is. my favorite questions we've ever had. Yeah, that's a good one to end on. <laughs> that's a good one to end on. Yeah, that's a, that's a good note to end on, I think. Thank you, as always, for joining us. We don't actually have to preview a race this time for the first time in a long time because I have a week off. So you can join us in a week's time when we will preview the Russian Grand Prix. Uh, Stu is going to very much enjoy his weekend off, I'm sure. I'm just going to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to get in touch with us in the meantime, as always, we're on Twitter at Back of the Grid F1. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram by just searching Back of the Grid or backofthegrid.com where you can fill in a contact us form and you can also see where you are on the predictions leaderboard. But until next week, that is all. So thank you again for joining us and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.